0: Can I listen to your podcast? All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode seven of Middle School Music, where old school meets new school. I'm one of your hosts, Farhan Lalji, and with me I've got Dario DeWitt. Dario, how are you doing this morning? Can't believe it. We're at episode seven. Lucky number seven, indeed. Once again, thank you to Local Globe for hosting us in their podcast studio. Uh, seven episodes in, how are you feeling about being a podcaster now, Dario?
1: It's been great. There's been so much new music that's come out these past two weeks, so many things happening in industry. What a great position to be in. Indeed. And uh,
0: the fact that we, we kind of shifted the frequency from once a week to once every other week, um, hopefully we'll kind of stick to that once every other week and still record lots of these podcasts for you. It's been great. I think we have two weeks worth of music, two weeks worth of music news. Uh, two weeks' worth of content and stuff to to share and discuss. All right, well, we're going to talk a bit about craft versus sales, or uh, as you've put it, expectation versus reality, um, <laughs> and, and a little bit of context around that. We're going to talk a little bit about how artists gear up, how artists interact, and then we'll talk about new music as well, and and hopefully that will give you enough content for this lucky number seven episode.
1: Let's kick this thing off.
0: All right. So expectations versus reality. I think uh, that this topic of conversation rose because of a recent uh, a news item that that hit a lot of waves this week. In that uh, Tyler the Creator had a music festival, you know, with some of that that kind of Tyler the Creative crew showing up. There was a lot of buzz around a special guest star. Uh, people were uh, supposing that that was going to be Frank Ocean. People were waiting for Frank Ocean. At what was it called again, Dario? Uh, the, the Camp festival? Flognor. Camp Flognor, yeah. And and Tyler, you know, puts on this event on the regular. He does it for the fans. It's quite curated in terms of who appears. You know, there's some great kind of up and coming artists. There's some great artists that are a little bit more established. I mean, you've got the likes of 21 Savage kind of appearing next to up and coming coming artists like DaBaby um, and also lots of others. Uh, her kind of was there as well and then there was this big kind of buzz around who the guest celebrity or guest star would be and so people were believing that it was going to be Frank Ocean Frank Ocean uh, who some of you may know from Channel Orange uh, others may know as kind of somebody who's drip feeding a couple of new tracks uh, this year Uh, especially I'm a big Frank Ocean fan uh, despite kind of name dropping Drake over the last six episodes <laughs> here and there. Um, so yeah, so the audience was expecting Frank Ocean out comes Drake, uh, Drake does, I believe half the set, right. That he was going to do and he starts getting booed by the audience and ends up, uh, walking out, I think about 20 minutes still left in the time allocated for his set. And I believe Tyler went, went pretty hard afterwards on, on Twitter. Talking about kind of the fact that he brought on Drake and that he himself was a Drake fan, uh, and then you know people who were expecting one artist and getting somebody like Drake uh, making their voices heard, might maybe not in the most respectful way, and he really wasn't kind of vibing with that. What's your take on on the situation?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, Drake's the biggest artist in the world. Uh, the fact that. You know, he can be a surprise guest. He was a surprise guest at Wireless Festival last year when DJ Khaled dropped out. And, uh, I mean, maybe because he's got a strong following in the UK, people loved it. But I think it highlights a bigger problem here. I think something interesting to point out is that uh, the crowd also booed off Little Uzi Vert. Actually, I would do that too. (laughs) And uh, uh, ASAP Rocky um, because... They were mad that the surprise guest wasn't Frank Ocean. You know, for me, I see it in two parts. One side is if you have kind of hinted at the fact that it may be Frank Ocean, you know, Tyler and Frank have collaborated before, they have a relationship, uh, you're leading people on. And as soon as you build up that expectation, uh, particularly considering this is more of a, what would you say, more of a niche kind of festival?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of part of it, right? Like, you had an audience that likes one particular sub-genre within hip-hop, right? You've got Tyler's audience, you've got Frank Ocean's audience. If you were to draw the Venn diagram of Tyler the Creator fans over uh, Frank Ocean fans, that, that Venn diagram of Tyler the Creative fans over Frank Ocean fans would be pretty tight. Yet, if you were to draw that overlap of Tyler the Creative or Frank Ocean fans over Drake fans, you know, the Drake fans part of that Venn diagram would be quite huge. And I'm not quite sure if the same audiences would turn up had they known that it was going to be Drake that was there. And I think that's part of it, right? Like the other part of it is just kind of um the artistry versus the sales component of it, right? Like I mean, Drake when he was part of Lil Wayne's crew and hanging out with Nicki Minaj and, you know, kind of being a guest rapper on other tracks Versus Drake now as a more established artist who's headlining festivals, you know that kind of uh, difference in terms of when you rock up to a stadium expecting to see, you know, an artist put on a show at that caliber versus when you go to a, a smaller niche festival like uh, Camp Fognaw. I, I can never say that right, and I'm gonna kind of be giggling <laughs> to myself the whole time. But when you rock up to that type of niche festival, what you're expecting to see um, is different, right? And in the same way. I think, like, if you had put in Celine Dion, right, that that also would kind of get that crowd very inks because probably Tyler the Creative fans aren't necessarily Celine Dion fans or Drake fans in that case.
1: Well, you highlighted an important point because how much is too much, and you know something to highlight is that you know Spotify when they were they were helping Drake with his release of Scorpion, you know they referred to it as Scorpion season and they pretty much put Drake's face everywhere. He was the face of a variety of editorial playlists, best of British, massive dance hits, happy pop hits, genres that he's not even a part of. And you know, in some cases, maybe people such as Tyler's uh, fan base think that Drake sold out. Uh, I, I personally don't particularly enjoy his music now compared to, let's say, the Take Care era. Yeah. Um, I think you feel differently, right? I mean, I don't necessarily feel
0: that differently. I do think Drake, I mean, Drake hasn't fallen off like maybe or or gone into a totally different genre or area like a Kanye has gone into. Like Eminem, actually. Or like Eminem. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think Drake is still Drake. I mean, the way I look at it is take care to some of the more recent stuff you know, isn't that different? Drake is still kind of being Drake, right? He's still kind of his emo-sensitive kind of self, kind of from the original time to now, right? I mean, when I look at Hotline Bling, Hotline Bling isn't that old a track, right? And And it's kind of similar to some of his older stuff as well. So I don't really buy that he's kind of changed dramatically. I think what's happened is, you know, kind of the demographics of the audience that... Uh, F with Drake, right, is, is kind of changed dramatically, right? Like when he's popping up on a Nicki Minaj song 10, God, hasn't been that long, but maybe like six, seven years ago, compared to now when he's dropping an album, you know, and other people are guesting on his verse or in his songs, I think that's what's kind of changed it is. And maybe you're right about kind of Spotify and some of these other channels really kind of pimping out Drake to the point where you're, Um, middle class, you know, kind of different demographic people are blasting Drake now. You know, the Tyler, the Creator fans are kind of not looking to be listening to the same music as a lot of people who are probably listening to Drake right now.
1: Completely. And back in the day, content wasn't thrown in your face all the time. So the labels could control and create that narrative. Nowadays, I read there's about 40,000 new tracks released on Spotify every day. The, The choice or the opportunity for choice is so big that it, it creates these these almost subcultures. And I guess that uh, this is what blurs the lines and creates these types of situations.
0: Yeah, and I think we've had this conversation, and, and I'm going to dump you on something we didn't discuss before, but we've had these conversations about stadium artists right, and how there aren't any stadium artists anymore. And I'm not sure that's such a bad thing, right? Like you could still sell out a venue like the O2 here or a venue like Madison Square Garden or whatever that seats anywhere from 10 to 40,000 or 30,000 kind of people. And that being the top end isn't necessarily a bad thing when you have so many more artists that you can go and see. And I think that's an interesting kind of point, right? I think the only person that we were talking about that could possibly sell out a stadium now um, is Billie Eilish. Whereas other artists, I'd be be kind of hard pressed to name other modern artists that we think would sell out stadiums.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think just as a side note, I don't want to open up this can of worms, (laughs) is the creative process has changed as well, which allows for artists to be great radio Artists or, or Spotify artists or whatever you want to call them, but they can't actually perform think future mm. um, You know, I don't see him doing that many concerts. I mean, I guess T-Pain used auto-tune as well Did he perform much a live? little bit, but you know T-Pain the funny
0: thing is he was on the Mass Singer um, And I believe he won oh. in the US the, the Mass Singer competition so he can sing right But he relies on auto-tune to actually make his unique T-Pain like voice And that one is the one that doesn't necessarily translate to kind of being in front of a live audience, right? It's hard to be an auto-tune or, you know, a a heavily kind of influenced by electronic synthesization of your vocals and then perform in front of a live audience. Um, And I think you're right. I think that works for sales, but it might not work for that live experience.
1: Well, you know, it's a good segue, actually, into this whole DJ Khaled versus Tyler, the Creator again. Um, So how's this? You know, DJ Khaled puts a considerable amount of efforts into to putting out this, his Father of side album this year, has a stellar lineup of features, the likes of John Legend, Cardi B, 21 Savage, Post Malone, Travis Scott, the list goes on. He releases the album same day as Tyler, the Creator's Eagle. We all expect DJ Khaled to top the charts. And Tyler, the Creator beat, or should I say outperformed DJ Khaled by 30,000 units. That's 30,000 units sold or is that Streams? So, how is that measured? It's know? all it's this album equivalent unit thing, which right. is oh, kind, of a, kind of a hairy thing. So, Father Vassad sold 136,000 units, and 34,000 were traditional sales, right? Whereas Igor uh, sold 165,000 album equivalent units.
0: Yeah, because there's, there's where some of the, the modern kind of changes to how record sales or, tra- or kind of chart positions are being calculated are having an impact, right? Because you see that with, is it NF and Chance as well, right? Like where, you know, kind of Chance the Rapper is releasing a new album and a Christian rapper is basically overtaking him in the charts because of some of the way that it's being calculated, but also because of those audiences, right? And how many streams or how much uh, interaction people have with that that music.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because at face value, you see Chance the Rapper releases Coloring Book. He's this uh, kind of... Uh, the epitome of an independent artist. A coloring book had a great number of features. Uh, it takes three years to put out uh, his latest album, The Big Day Out. I'm well, sorry, The Big Day, should I say. The Big Day. Um, it's you know, basically a love story
0: between him and his wife, right? that That whole album is... Basically, Chance talking about marriage, talking about relationships, all of that kind of stuff.
1: Exactly, and you know the parallels are kind of there with NF. The difference is that Chance's album is a happy album. He spent a considerable amount of time kind of on the Tonight Show, uh, interviews with Beats One. NF is this Christian rapper. It's a it's an album twenty tracks long, which is pretty unique in this market. In this mm-hmm. market, uh, with almost zero features, quite depressing and very recovery esque, and it outperforms. Chance the rapper's debut—it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean that's really
0: uh, you know kind of a modern kind of thing, right? Like we would not have seen a niche artist outperform a mainstream label-backed artist. And even though Chance is independent, he's kind of the the media darling, right? Like so, you know, if Spotify is given Chance the rapper and NF, they're going to promote Chance the rapper because the view is that this artist is going to be more popular with a wider range of people. Now, what they're not calculating for is actually the dedicated, almost like Stan-like um, you know, kind of fans who are going to do multiple streams, who are just going to listen to that album over and over again. And I think your point earlier about so much new music being released almost hurts some of those more mainstream artists, because those Venn diagrams of, hey, if I'm a fan of Chance, I'm also a fan of Drake's. If I'm a fan of TI's, I'm also a fan of, I don't know, Kendrick's, or something like that, right? That kind of hurts that artist, I mean, actually Kendrick's an interesting case because he's not releasing that much new music. I mean, I think the last thing he did was like the Black Panther kind of soundtrack. Yes. And and so like, you know, I th- and I wonder if when Kendrick hopefully does drop a new album, If that will be kind of the the slight kind of discriminator discriminator or the slight difference in terms of you know popular artists getting lots of streams, getting lots of popularity, or if we'll see another niche artist with a bunch of stands also still take over on the charts.
1: That's a good point. I think the difference here though is that Kendrick was almost on the cusp. Yeah. Uh you know, Good Kid Mad City still built critical acclaim through album sales, at least my interpretation of it. Uh, you know, Kanye despite his recent album being relatively weak, in my opinion, or less commercial, he, I think he's tied now with Eminem with the most consecutive number no, of yeah. uh, number one albums. I think it's nine. So, you know, ir- he's one of those artists and I feel like Kendrick could be in that bucket where irrespective of of anything else, his name is just so big. But to be fair, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and it's interesting,
0: right? Because there's the whole artistry bucket and then there's the whole impact and kind of sales Bucket right, so you get kind of this almost two by two matrix of you know impact and artistry, and it's I think it's really rare for an artist to be in that almost top right of the two by two matrix, if you will, of having both artistry and having impact in terms of record sales. Right, a lot of people don't risk. It's like um, a double-edged sword, right? That you, it's really hard for an artist today to focus on their craft, be really artistic, which I think is kind of what Kanye was going for. Um, you know, with that whole kind of philosophy of building something that was a lot more uh, connected to God, right? And felt a lot more personal. Whether you believe him or not, whether you think it's a little bit of a, of a play or not, I mean, you can't deny that Kanye historically has taken real artistic risks, with these albums, from like 808s and Heartbreaks through to to this most recent album, he's a guy who takes risk. And sometimes I believe that impacts his overall sales. But when you look at him through the lens of artistry and creativity, you have to admit that he's a risk taker. Whereas I think Drake hasn't necessarily taken those same chances in terms of artistry. So even though he gets massive amounts of record sales, maybe the audience isn't looking at him as a true artist. And that's where somebody like Billie Eilish is actually quite interesting because I feel like she's an artist. I feel like she's taking risks with music and yet she's having a multitude of success in terms of sales or in terms of streams as well. How do you think about that kind of balance out between kind of artistry and between kind of sales itself?
1: Yeah, I I think it's, uh, it's quite a unique balance because you see some artists have perfected the ability to, they're like a chameleon; they can yeah. kind of mold to their environment. And others have failed.
0: It's like modern-day David Bowies, right? Like, I mean, he <laughs> exactly. was somebody
1: who basically morphed into these different characters and was very, very artistic and could probably sell at a stadium. hundred oh, well. uh, percent. You know, if I if I look in the in the rock genre, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers have, have tried putting out different types of albums and didn't really work. YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I know I always probably default to this, but Eminem's a really good example. Building out the Slim Shady persona helped him Mm. uh, during that time to rise to the top. Uh, Kind of then building out this Eminem persona, this more mature kind of lens worked well with recovery in 2010. Revival was a complete flop. Uh, And now people kind of, keyboard warriors want him to go back to that, that original style. But with the way that the world has changed and and the way that people perceive things, you've got to be very sensitive to the things you do say and and the message you try and and bring across in your music. Uh, because you know, there was a, a snippet that leaked a couple days ago of a of a lyric of of him supporting Chris Brown uh, during. Uh, the time when when Chris Brown was involved in his altercation with, with, uh, with Rihanna, abuse yeah. case with Rihanna. That was obviously not meant for public ears. It got released. It was during that relapse era where he put on this persona of being this, uh, I don't know, twisted individual and whatever. His, his, his uh, um, spokesperson kind of said, well, that, that lyric was scrapped and it was recorded 10 years ago. Uh, but, you know, it highlights a, a greater point. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I mean, I, I kind of draw the the the
0: parallel to athletics and sport in that you have athletes who maybe have to change their game later on in their career in order because their physical skills have diminished. And you have this kind of like also artists, you know, or athletes who either will play roles and be kind of really good at their roles, and you have uh, athletes who are superstars. Um, And it's like, do you win a championship by being a superstar? Or do you win a championship by being a role player? And I think you can draw the same kind of parallel to music in that will you be the kind of number one selling top artist because you're such a phenomenal artist? Or do you have to stick to your lane? Do you have to be a role player? Do you have to understand that not everybody is going to understand your creative license that you're taking in that sense? And I feel like it's there's something in there about the differences between artists at, the, at different levels and how an artist can kind of create a persona and how successful they can be at modifying their persona. So there was this country artist, I believe, in the '90s called Garth Brooks. Do you know Garth Brooks? I've heard the name. Yes. Okay. So Garth Brooks um, was kind of plateauing in the '90s, right? You know, he he had a couple of songs. He was pretty kind of popular in in the country kind of space, but he created this character called Chris Gaines, who was kind of like a goth rock alter ego. And it absolutely flopped because it was so inauthentic, right? It was, it was mocked almost incessantly. Um, you know, kind of VH1 did a mockumentary about it. Uh, you know, kind of he was just not true to himself, and it was just so kind of cringe, as you would say, um, with kind of modern parlance, right? That that some artist. Who was almost like a country staple if if you could imagine i don't even know who who the equivalent would be maybe blake shelton right if you took blake shelton and if he tried to be uh Marilyn manson right yeah that's that, weird yeah and that's basically what happened right where garth brooks was getting so i guess kind of tired of being garth brooks that he created this alter ego and that alter ego flopped and i don't know if artists like David Bowie was able to do with recreating himself. I don't know if any other artist can really kind of make that work if they're not authentic.
1: I think in today's world, there's so much transparency with social media that it's there's nowhere to hide. So it's very difficult to do that as well. And because everyone's so content hungry, it's like, well, so and so hasn't released a new song in the past two weeks. Over them, over, yeah. Uh, you know. So uh, back in the D like you could kind of disappear for a bit. And I think Kendrick's actually yeah. Kendrick is very good at doing that. You know, he came back uh, with "Damn" surprise release, kind of different dress, yeah. different hairstyle, the works. Very different. Went deep
0: into Black Panther. Exactly. As well, on
1: the production side as well as new tracks on that side. I think that's a
0: great, great point. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how this will evolve, right? And what the future of artistry and sales and that kind of uh, kind of almost combination of factors, how that's going to play out over the next, let's say, 10, 20 years as more and more channels like TikTok and whatever else kind of come into play, right? I think you were mentioning that Mariah Carey is back in the charts and a lot of that is due to, to TikTok. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So uh, Mariah Carey's uh, 2009 song, Obsessed, Is now back on Billboard's R&B streaming chart. Uh, It hit number 23 actually a day after the song's album release uh, a decade ago because there was a video, a TikTok video that was put out of a girl crying and dancing to the song. That's how crazy it all is. Yeah, and it's it's
0: going to be interesting to see if artists with that level of fame and catalog, right, if they start to see other kind of revenue from back catalog, through modern plays, through digital channels like that. And I'm curious to see whether they kind of curate some of that and almost artificially make that happen, or if some of that becomes more
1: nuanced and just kind of happens organically as well. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, uh, the same thing has happened to Justin Bieber. And a particularly interesting one is Louis Primer, or Prima, depending how you want to pronounce that, who got his start in the 1930s swing era, Uh, has kind of resurged to fame because people put a TikTok video out pretending to be a time traveler to a remix of a song, I Want to Be Like You, from 1967's The Jungle Book.
0: So we're seeing this kind of like modern interpretation of classics or back catalogs. But you're also seeing, you know, as you were saying, more and more new music coming out every day as well. So with this kind of sheer volume of content for people to actually engage with, Will we ever see kind of artists that are at that stadium level and, and do kind of sell consistently for a generation or so? Or are we going to kind of emerge ourselves into an era of niches?
1: You know, I hope we do find more stadium artists. I love going to concerts. And for me, being at the likes of Twickenham, or Wembley, it's, it's a fascinating experience just because the production value uh, that that those areas and those arenas create, the opportunity for experience is so much greater. Mm. I mean, maybe it's just not feasible in the longer run. I, I hope it is. You know, all these things, these new models, etc. they go through teething problems and pain points. So maybe we're at that, that point right now. Mm. But what does number one mean these yeah. days? A good example is Jay-Z and Beyonce put out their Everything is Love Uh, LP last year and that got beaten by Australia's five seconds of summer (laughs) all right but why because Jay and Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bay they um, they put the album out as a brief title only release and they also shortened the sales week because they put out as a surprise Saturday release after their concert run in Europe, whereas new music is typically released on a Friday. You know, DJ Khaled lost out to Tyler, the Creator, because when DJ Khaled put his record out, I think 100,000 units were attributable to an energy drink deal, and Billboard disqualified that. I mean, Travis Scott and Nicki Minaj, the same thing, because Nicki Minaj was, was kind of... Um, was very angry with Travis Scott and, and Kylie Jenner because she feels that Kylie Jenner posted something on social media and that Instagram posts uh, together with the bundled World tickets nullified her opportunity at putting Queen at number one. Yeah, I
0: mean, you're absolutely right that number one doesn't necessarily mean as much as it used to, right? And prolonged periods of number one might be a thing of the past. I mean, I think, you know, we were having this kind of competition internally around um, the the different kind of artists that have the longest streaks at number one. And Adele's kind of 21, I believe it was, that that had like a sustained kind of stay at at number one versus kind of M's Eminem on the rap and hip hop charts and whatever else as well. And you're right. I think like the stays at number one aren't necessarily kind of indicators of who's going to sell out huge stadium venue because you can still be a niche artist you could still have a mad amount of really dedicated fans that are going to drive you forward but yet at the same time they're not going to be huge in numbers to that point where you're going to sell out a massive venue and i actually feel the opposite way i actually am embracing this period because i feel like the artist to fan kind of engagement and relationship is a lot tighter. So yes, you do kind of have a very different experience than that, you're not in the same venue with 80,000 other people all bopping your head to the same track, but at the same time, that relationship between an artist and an individual
1: feels a lot more tight than it probably has ever before. Completely. Now I wanna put something into perspective for you. Fortnite hosted a Marshmallow concert uh, last year. Biggest gaming event attracts 10.7 million streamers or viewers online. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. This is, this is not scripted. All right. So what do you think is the highest attending single artist concerts ever? Single
0: artist concerts? Single so artist not, concerts. So not like your, um, you know, kind of Save Africa type. No, none type of that. We'll get concerts. to that. Yeah. Um, single artist concerts, I'd say 100,000
1: people. It's Vasco Rossi was two hundred and twenty-five thousand one hundred and seventy-three, and that was on July first, twenty seventeen. Now, if there's so now we look at the free concert category. Wait, hold on a sec. Say that again. So Vasco Rossi was had two hundred
0: thousand pe- over two hundred thousand people at a single concert in two thousand seventeen. Correct.
1: This is wow. according to Wikipedia. Just okay, as a okay. caveat, I yeah. mean, you know. So if we get to free concerts, yeah. all right, the top, uh, the highest attendee attendance free concert was Rod Stewart in de- on December 31st in 1994 in Copacabana Beach for New Year's Eve, which is just over 3.5 million people. Wow. Now, this was before the cell phone era, et cetera. Yeah. The fact that Fortnite could achieve that scale, I mean, even Woodstock as a music festival was around 400,000. Uh, you know, Fortnite was about 26 times That is unreal. That's there. That. And I think like that level, I mean, that's very
0: different, right? Like a stadium versus an online stream. Right? Agreed
1: but is that the way is is that changing the way that we consume music
0: yeah i mean i think that kind of almost i mean what is a concert right a concert is a moment in time where a group of people are together to experience an artist right and if you kind of go by that definition then that's still part of that kind of same world right but at the same time it's not an in person you're not kind of getting a, i mean how ma- we don't know what percentage of people watched marshmallow in their pajamas right true <laughs> how many people actually get out actually go somewhere actually pay money to be in that venue and I think whereas you might get those free interactions whether it's through games whether it's through video streaming I mean I know YouTube's done some experiments with YouTube YouTube and YouTube but you also kind of will get these marsh, the Marshmallow and Fortnite and other type interactions where people can engage from wherever whenever they want on that side it's really interesting to see how that evolves as and will probably continue to evolve as well So it's a good
1: case study. If you manage to get this far, uh, one thing which would be really fascinating would be to look at the correlation between the people that watch online concerts through video games versus the people that buy books or buy CDs or even go to the movies instead of maybe pirating or streaming, whatever you call it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of different kind of ways to interact with the media, right? And I think the in-person book signing versus the actual consuming on a Kindle is an interesting parallel to watching Marshmallow on Fortnite and actually going to see Billie Eilish at Wembley. Um, those are kind of interesting parallels that we're seeing in media consumption. And I think we're going to continue to kind of see that evolution of how artists and their fans actually interact. All right, Dario. So we've we've gone two weeks without an episode. So we've got two New Music Fridays and two sets of music uh, kind of releases to kind of cover. What's been catching your ear? What have you been listening to uh, over the last couple of weeks?
1: Insane. So what? who have I been listening to? I've been listening to B.O.B., B., uh, not New Music. Hmm. Uh, just I'm very interested by his career choice. You know, blew up 2010, releases The Adventures of Bobby Ray, very poppy, I guess, you know, very much suited that sound. Uh, a co signee, I think, of TI, and it was along the lines of like Paper Trail, Recovery mm-hmm. from Eminem, that type of album.
0: Well, you also had like the emergence of Bruno Mars off of BOB as well.
1: Exactly. And even Hayley Williams from, uh, oh, yeah. from Paramore uh, got some good coverage. Then released as an album, I think, two years later. Uh, he signed to Shady Publishing Group. And uh, kind of ever since 2012, when he got Morgan Freeman on the track, how's that? Yeah. Uh, Lil Wayne and Drake. I mean, he had all the 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 big Taylor Swift, the big names, kind of dissipated into thin air, gone super local, and and it's just very
0: weird. Well, you do get that with artists, right? Like sometimes getting that much fame or that much kind of uh, critical acclaim. Uh, That quickly, and then maybe it's like artist's block or writer's block, or you know, kind of just being like, okay, I've done enough, right? The the inspiration to create new music isn't always there, right? Um, We saw that with the new Gangstar album right, that, that 16 years, I think you, you mentioned, kind of between albums. Um, I've been listening to that quite in heavy rotation, um, you know, kind of missing Guru even more now. I, I heard a great actual uh, a podcast between Bomani Jones and Primo, um, where he was talking about uh, Guru and, and the process of actually creating uh, that record. Uh, and it's really, really touching around kind of Primo losing his friend and how he kind of created that album. Um, so I've been giving that uh, a lot of play as well. What else have you been listening to? Uh,
1: a lot of Schoolboy Q. I kind of feel like you know Kendrick got the spotlight with TDE. There was a phase, I was thinking yeah. about it this morning, where TDE was basically owning the hip hop space with Hipster Hop, and then it kind of got overtaken by quality control and Migos in this old trap genre. But Schoolboy Q. In my opinion, had the the opportunity and the talent to be just as big as Kendrick, and I don't know because of label complications, maybe that's why it didn't happen. Oxymoron was a great album, Blank Face was okay, and Crash Talk is alright as well. He's performing at the end of January in London. Uh, I think I might go check him out actually. Schoolboy Q.
0: Yeah, Uh, That might be one we can go together to. I'd be up for for seeing Schoolboy Q. Um, And also just new music, right? There has been a lot of new music that's been released. Uh, This week's New Music Friday had releases from Billie Eilish uh, that we spoke about earlier. Uh, I really like her track, Everything I Wanted, Uh, a new Khalid uh, track, as well as Marshmello, who, again, we talked about uh, in the episode. There's a new Marshmello track, which is decent. Um, The one thing that's been catching my ear last week and this week there's been two tracks from Tory Lanez. Uh, last week, it was Jerry Sprunger, which took a little bit of T-Pain's I'm Sprung and turned it into a track. Actually, T-Pain calls it out for uh, saying to Tory Lanez took one line and made it a hot track. Uh, he's done it again with uh, Beauty in the Benz featuring Snoop Dogg, which is a, taking a sample from uh, Snoop's earlier career hit with Beautiful. Um, so I wonder how much of a Pharrell producing credit
1: he got on that one. Uh, but you were saying as well that uh, that this is going to be part of a trend for Tory Lanes, right? Yeah, so I think he's put a couple of these albums out. This is number five. You know, he's he's got uh, some, and I don't know exactly which songs he's sampled by the song title names, but there's the likes of Ludacris, Chris Brown, The Dream, some you might remember him, Lil Wayne, Fabulous, uh, Ashanti, and a couple other jagged edge, a couple others uh, in there as well. I think it's a it's a super cool concept. Tori Lane's been putting out some some good music this year, and uh... it's interesting that you know a lot of these songs are
0: probably in either the the late '90s, early 2000s kind of like time frame, right? And so now, as somebody who experienced that kind of when I was you know quite young, I mean, I was like in my 20s when the Fabulous track comes out, and now to see Tori Lane's kind of taking a sample and making a new version. Of that song it's really really fascinating to me because i remember hearing tracks in the 90s that were sampling tracks from the 70s and thinking those songs were so old but now as somebody who's actually remembers when those songs were out and now hearing newer versions of that that song it's kind of like put my own kind of time into uh, reflection and saying, wow, I remember the first time this song came out and I was in the club and now I'm listening to this song at Spotify with my kids. So it's an interesting kind of bookmarking of my life based on kind of
1: Tory Lanez and and this album. It's crazy how the time gap has shrunk. I mean, the album's actually released today. It, It is crazy that you're starting to see music that's not even maybe just over a decade old starting to come back into rotation in new forms. I guess the, the jury will be out as to the quality of those songs and whether this is really more of a mixtape than an album in the definitive sense. I turned to kind of some of the new music I looked at. I think Khalid's got up, up All Night, which is really cool. See, there's new music from the likes of Camila Cabello. You've got uh, Ray Ami. It's got a song called Dictator, which kind of does that beat switch midway through. That's a pretty good track. And we're, all,
0: we're starting to see the emergence of new Christmas tracks. So you've got uh, Taylor Swift has a song with Shawn Mendes uh, in this week, which is a Christmas song. And I know the e do you know who the e is? No clue. So the e is is my the, 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 the artist that I stand over, John Legend, in that he's now got the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, the Tony, and this week was announced as People's Sexiest Man Alive. So he's now the Igotsma, because he's added the Sexiest Man Alive to that. <laughs> the e- man. Indeed. So he's got a track where they've redone Baby It's Cold Outside with, I believe, uh, Kelly Clarkson. Um, and so that's a new track as well. So we're starting to see Christmas kind of creeping its, its head now with kind of Christmas songs coming up. That might be something we talk about a little bit more probably in December with kind of Christmas music because I think there's probably a lot of content around kind of Christmas sales and how artists create music for Christmas and then see kind of the royalties come out every year. Uh, I know I'm sure Mariah Carey's uh, track from, from Christmases many years ago will come out and and that will kind of probably hit the charts again in December.
1: Can't believe it! It's Christmas season. I remember what they 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 uh, turned the lights on in Regent Street last night and had the fireworks as well. There we go. Well, well, Christmas is coming and and
0: uh, and hopefully there will be more episodes of uh, of middle school music to listen to as well. That's the plan. Well, thanks for listening to another I think hot episode of middle school music where old school meets new school. You can find us on Twitter at mdlskl underscore music. You can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter on at Dario underscore DeVet with a W. Thanks again for listening and hopefully we'll catch you in another two weeks. Uh, I think our goal is to have at least two or three more episodes this side of the year. Uh, Hopefully we can get to that magic number 10 and have double digits uh, soon enough. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.